Welcome to Awardly Nurse. I'm John, joined by my co-host David. In this episode, we discuss this year's Academy Awards Best Picture nominees. David and John proudly present to you the celebration of American If you haven't watched all eight of the Best Picture noms, don't worry. We'll try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible. Dave, we're at the 93rd Academy Awards. What have you got for us? John, I am so excited to be talking about this. And it's probably not because of the reason you think. Let me tell you the reason I think. Okay. Uh, because we do this every year. <laughs> well, okay. I'm excited because this season is coming to an end. This feels like the Academy Awards season that has drug on for two years. Maybe on that note, it is kind of nice that 2020 is over. Yes. It's behind us. I fucking hated a lot of it. Something new, something better. In talking about 2020, I have my first vaccine shot. I have my second one coming up. Me too. I just had my first. I might be back in the theaters in June. We could go see Black Widow, I think, in July. The 25th is Fast and Furious, which is two days after my birthday. So I want to make sure it's completely safe. I'm being very, very cautious. I would agree. Sort of digress. Like This has been a really, really long, very confusing word season. Let's jump into these. So these are the eight movies that were nominated for Best Picture. The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Nomadland, Mank, Minari, Promising Young Woman, The Trial of the Chicago 7, and Sound of Metal. Dave, what's your reaction to this list? This is a fine list. I don't think it is as good as last year. Last year, I was all in for Parasite. But it's a fine list. It's like a B, B plus, maybe. There's a couple that I like more than the others, but there's nothing that's like really grabbing my attention. How about you? I think Mank and Minari, for me stand above the others. I think the list would be different if it were a normal year. Again, not to say these movies are bad. I just think there are movies that probably would have changed the way this looks had they come out this year. You might be specifically referring to Sound of Metal, which is a movie that I actually very much like. It's sort of like the little movie that could. I feel like it got nominated to this list in a year that was a little bit down. Well, I would actually say Judas and the Black Messiah and Trial of Chicago 7 and probably even Promising Young Woman would not have made the cut in another year. I would disagree on Promising Young Woman, but I think we'll get to that. Okay. But overall, this is not my favorite year. Was there anything on here that, that really like made you turn your head like, huh? I noted this as being different than a typical year. So a lot of the movies we're seeing here were backed by streaming movie services. Maybe that's just a trend that's happening generally in movies, but... It's very evident with this list. Netflix is trying real hard to win an Oscar. Really hard. They've been, every year they're spending gobs and gobs of money to win an Oscar. And it feels like the Academy is just like, no. <laughs> yeah, well, this might be the year it all changes. It's possible. I hope to God that things change, that we do see streaming and theater releases at the same time. It is easier for me to sit on my couch and watch a movie. And I kind of like it. Are you specifically talking about HBO Max? Because they are killing it right now. I'm digging it. I like it. I can pause the movie if I don't feel like finishing it. 
if I want to pee, I can. It doesn't stop anything. If I want to get something to eat in the middle of it, I can stop the movie. It's great. I love it. I want the option to go to the theater. And here's what I mean by that. I've been digging what HBO Max is doing, but there are certain movies that I don't think warrant the theater experience. For example, The Little Things. I'm perfectly comfortable sitting at home and watching that on my normal TV. Yeah. Godzilla vs. Kong. I would want to go to the theater and see that. That's one I enjoyed, but I probably wouldn't go to the theater for that. It's a movie that I liked, but probably not enough to prioritize my day to get out of the house and go somewhere to see it. I get it. One of the things that I really love about going to the theater is I'm very distracted and it's difficult for me to fully concentrate. And so when I go to a theater, it really forces me to pay attention to the movie. And as a movie reviewer, in a nascent movie reviewer, I, I take it seriously. Like, really want to pay attention to a movie. <laughs> you are totally right when you say that. I totally agree that it does force you to watch the movie. And if you're one of those people who are on your phone during the movie, get the fuck out of the theater. Stay home. <laughs> well, do you remember when we went and saw Revenant and there was a woman sitting in front of us on our phone and she typed out literally like a two-page text message? I've seen all sorts of crazy shit like that. Like, I saw Doctor Strange in the theater and the only other person in the theater with me sat right in front of me was on her phone the whole time. I started kicking the back of her chair because it was very bright. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, you're the only other person in the theater. Like, why are you sitting literally right in front of me? And then you get on your phone the whole time. <laughs> That's bad. Let's get back into this. Snubs. The industry thinks it's one night in Miami. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. There's a small contingent for the Five Bloods. The movies that I really thought would have been nice additions were First Cow and Palm Springs. So with that out of the way, John. Let's get into our movies. So again, we're going to try to do this as spoiler-free as possible. I'm pretty sure we're doing this in alphabetical order. It's not a list of our favorite to least favorite or anything like that. Yep. So first is The Father. This movie is about an elderly man played by Anthony Hopkins who starts to doubt his mind and reality are real as dementia takes hold. While his daughter, played by Olivia Coleman, struggles to do her best to care for him. Dave, what did you think of this movie? It's got six noms, including Best Actor. I, Hopkins, I thought, was superb in this movie. Maybe some of his best acting ever. You know, what was your take? This is a vehicle for Hopkins. It, he is phenomenal in this film. You're absolutely right. I think in a different year, he would be the front runner. Uh, the front runner right now is Chadwick Bosman for Marnie's Black Bottom. I would highly recommend it. It's going to leave you in a... I would say depressed state, <laughs> but I, I very much like this. One of the things that I, I kept thinking while, while watching it was, do I like this movie or do I like Anthony Hopkins' performance? And what I think I came up with is that Anthony Hopkins has a great performance and a pretty cool script, but those are the two things going for it. Coincidentally, at work, the project I've been doing for the past several months was launching Alzheimer's.gov. We created the website from scratch and did user research talking to people with Alzheimer's and dementia. I found it really interesting the way they portrayed this and how things unravel. I just thought it was really well done. Where it could come up short is that it's kind of a late in the season edition. So it just came out maybe two weeks ago. Since there are some restrictions on movie theaters because of COVID, I think most people are going to miss this movie. And that's kind of a shame because it's actually pretty good. I was talking to my father about this movie, and he'd never even heard of it. That's my barometer. If my dad doesn't know about it, it's kind of obscure. It is based on a play. Sarah, my partner, said that it was the second best play she's ever seen in her life. There was a small group of people who know about it, but I agree with you that this just came out too late. It didn't have enough time to build up momentum and a narrative around how it could win Best Picture. My girlfriend was like, this has to be a play. Sarah said that the play is 
really amazing that's set production one of the major reasons that she wanted to watch this film with me is because of the set production of the play and she did say they did a a good job of transitioning that to film and sometimes that doesn't work i found that to be really interesting about the movie too so the sets are very similar although they're in different places because this person is starting to forget things and things are blending together in his mind so it's both confusing for us as the viewer as well as for the character so i think that comes across really well yeah that's cool i did not know that big question can this win best picture i think it's too late I actually think it's one of the better movies of the year, and I would recommend people go to see this, but I don't think it has the momentum, as you were saying. Yeah, I think it's a no. I, I really don't think this is going to win. I think it might get shut out, actually. <laughs> it might not win anything. I would push for Hopkins to win Best Actor here, because again, I thought he was fantastic. I haven't seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, so I I can't say I know how Chadwick Boseman's performance was in that film. But again, based on what I've seen this year, Anthony Hopkins... You know, he takes it from me. Yeah, he's very, very good. And again, I haven't seen his performance either. What I'm basing this off of is Gold Derby, and that's a website that tracks awards. They have a odds of who's going to win, and Chadwick Bosman has just been racking up this award and other shows, so he's the front runner. Up next, we have Judas and the Black Messiah. So this movie is about a criminal turned FBI informant, William O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield as he infiltrates the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party to gather information on Chairman Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya. Along the way, the line between informant and activist starts to blur as an apolitical O'Neill learns about the struggles for equality and maybe even changes his opinion. So this has been nominated for five Oscars, including Best Supporting Actor and Best Original Screenplay. Dave, what's your reaction to the film? I like this film. I particularly like Daniel Kaluuya. This movie doesn't really focus on Fred Hampton as much as it should. So when I was watching this, I kept thinking to myself, I just want a full story about Fred Hampton and not this 16 months in his life. What I think this movie did really well was get into Hampton's vision for unifying these different groups of people. And they talk about this rainbow coalition he created of blacks, Hispanics, poor whites, and all these things to come together to form kind of a union of voters. I thought that was really cool, and I wanted to learn more about that. And I didn't know about this before, so the movie got me looking these things up and learning more about him. In reading about the movie itself, it it sounded like, I don't know if they just didn't have a lot of information about Fred Hampton's personal life or a lot about O'Neill. So there's a lot of dramatic license taken for some of the story that's happening in the back end. So don't take like all of this as being historically accurate. So would you recommend people watch it? Ultimately, I would actually say no. I think it comes up a little short. I would love, kind of like you, like a documentary about Fred Hampton is probably what I would suggest people check out. I don't know if that exists. It probably does. But I found that story to be way more interesting than how this plays out. Question is, is this going to win Best Picture? You want me to answer first? Yeah, go ahead. No. I think this I is, would agree. Yeah, I think yeah. this is absolutely extremely unlikely. I do think that Daniel Kaluuya is going to win Best Actor. This is one of the wildest things that happened in Oscars in a long time. Both Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield are both nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this movie. So they're competing against each other. It's really just a quirk of how the Oscar nominations work. But I do think Daniel takes it by a long, long way. Interesting. He has a lot less screen time than Lakeith Stanfield. He does, yeah. It's it's, it's really wild that Lakeith wasn't in Best Actor. You know, I heard this before, it's... They enter you, they being your movie studio, whoever nominates you, into the category 
they think you have a best shot at winning. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that they nominated two people from the same movie into the same category. That usually does not happen because it can cannibalize the vote as we've seen before. Also, another thing about that that I recently learned is that the acting wing of the Academy can put you into the, the correct category if they want. So what it sounds like happened here is that the Academy both viewed them as the supporting actor. That's just how it ended up being, which is crazy. <laughs> I don't have anything to say about that. Um, okay, anything more on this pick? I would recommend it. My thing with it is like, though it's, I want to know more about Fred Hampton. If you know absolutely nothing, it could pique your interest. And I do think it's an interesting story. Mank. Mank is a, a movie about an alcoholic screenwriter, Herman J. Mankiewicz, played by Gary Oldman, as he races to finish the screenplay of what some people say is the greatest movie of all time, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane is a thinly veiled tale about media baron William Randolph Hearst. So along the way, we learn what inspired Mank, and that's what Mankiewicz is called in the film, to take on one of the most powerful men in the United States, again, Hearst. Director is David Fincher, nominated for 10 different awards, the most of any this year. Dave, what do you think about this film? For most of the year, it was my number one film. What I like most about it is that it is gorgeous. The set production is really, really good. I think the script is incredibly tight. Gary Oldman is a lot of fun, despite playing someone who's 40. So what I mean by that is Gary Oldman's in his 60s. He's playing someone 20 years younger. Yeah, he's Gary Oldman, not Gary Youngman. <laughs> yes, we, I think we've made that joke many times. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, but I, I do really like this. Amanda Seyfried is great as Marion Davies across the board. I would say, though, that this is a movie person's movie. So I wouldn't recommend this for everyone. If you don't know Citizen Kane, if you're not interested in Citizen Kane, if you're not interested in old Hollywood, this probably isn't for you. I would agree. I think it's actually the smartest movie of the bunch. Sharp script, good acting, and it shows us the beginnings of these political ads being used to sway people's opinions that are kind of not entirely true. It's interesting to see the genesis of all that. And I also think this could go against the film. So you really have to pay attention to everything in this film because every word matters. And if you miss it, you kind of have to rewind and go back and listen to it again. Uh, I think I was riding the exercise bike in my garage. I had to go back several times because I was, you know, zoning out or doing something else. I did like it a lot and I thought the cinematography was great. So Dave, what's your take on this movie winning? Yeah, I think it's extremely unlikely, but not zero. So what this movie has in its favor is that it's a movie about movies. The Academy likes that. It's a movie with a really interesting story. So Fincher wrote this in collaboration with his father. His father has passed. So he, his father really wanted this to come out. It's about what some consider the best movie of all time. So again, it's Hollywood. Talk about Hollywood. The production value is really high. The technical aspect of it's really good. I'm just worried that it didn't really grab people's attention as much as Netflix wanted it to. And maybe it feels a little too Oscar baby. I was looking at this earlier. David Fincher has not won for directing before. Maybe he's got a shot at that. Maybe the Academy feels like he's due. I'd say it is probably one of my favorite movies of the year, but as you were saying, not super accessible. And I just don't think many people actually have an interest in it. I think that's kind of unfortunate because I think it's worth watching. I would tell people to watch this film. Yeah, I like it too. I think it's going to win Best Production Design. And I think uh, Amanda Seyfried 
has a chance with Best Supporting Actress. The Best Supporting Actress noms this year are wide open. Like, I could not tell you who's going to win, so almost everyone has a shot. Up next, we have Minari. Set in the 80s, a Korean family moves to a small Arkansas town in order to start something they can call their own, a farm. Uh, To help with childcare, the wife's mother moves in with them. Dave, tell me about this film. We got six nominations. You know, what did you think? What was your reaction? I absolutely love this movie. It is, again, in my top three of the movies for the year. I loved how it had multiple different emotional elements to it. It's funny. It's sad. And it's not a typical movie about a family moving to a location and overcoming diversity. Those exist, but it's not like a racism story. They're coming to this location and they're just having a really hard time adapting, period. And there are people who are trying to help them. They're just not getting it. It's a small, self-contained film. It's not very loud. I just really love this film, John. I just watched this last night. I think it has the most heart of the bunch. I agree with what you're saying. There's a lot of lighthearted moments. I wouldn't say it's a dramedy, but it does lighten the mood a lot in a way that is uplifting, I found, frequently. The child acting is great in this film. The boy, I don't know the actor's name, but he is great. I really loved his dynamic with his grandma. I think you mentioned that to me before, too. And I also liked how this moved away from our typical American dream movies, which is about like a white family coming from Europe at the turn of the century to escape oppression or poverty. I like that we're seeing this story for other groups, too. Given some recent attacks on Asian Americans, maybe it'll help people see that there are a lot of similarities with our Asian neighbors. Uh, you know, they basically went through the same thing, trying to escape oppression and poverty, looking for opportunity, came to America. I would actually be really excited to get into this film if it wins Best Picture. I think there's a lot to discuss here. This would be something I'd be happy to talk about. So the question is, will this win Best Picture? And honestly, it's possible. So if you're thinking of tiered movies, right now, Nomadland is the number one. The film was somewhat based on the director's childhood. It touches on American history. It's contemporary. There's a lot of stuff going for it. It's most likely going to win Best Supporting Actress for the actress who played the grandmother. That being said, I do have a real fear that this movie could get shut out completely. I think that would be a shame. It's so good in many different ways. We recommend this. Check it out. Yeah, highly recommend. Up next, Nomadland. After losing everything during the Great Recession, Widower Fern, played by Frances McDormand, travels the American West, kind of living out of her van, taking on seasonal work as a migrant. Tell us more about this film, Dave. It's only 90 minutes, but it's a lot because this movie is a sort of a downer. It is the number one contender for Best Picture winner. It has been for the last six months. It really just hasn't moved. It came out. People seem to love it. And a narrative has been built around it that uh, it's the best movie. I think it's a good movie. I think it's a solid movie. It is not the Best Picture winner for me. I'm not excited to cover this is what I'm getting at. So what I liked about this film was mostly on the technical. I think there's some really nice open vista shots of the American Southwest. I think Francis McDormand is really good. I find the use of amateur actors in the film interesting. This is the embodiment of a film that I intellectually like, but don't like as much as a story. I wasn't sure I understood the hype behind this film after watching it. Do you think the interest in this film is because people didn't realize there was group of white nomadic migrant workers in the U.S., a lot of them working at Amazon warehouses. I mean, I think that's why the movie was greenlit. 
in the first place because it's based off a book which itself is based off of a, a harper bazaar article this feels like a movie that is well this is sort of interesting and digestible and it lightly touches on the housing crisis of the last decade the one thing i didn't like about this film was i felt like it said that this lifestyle is bad where like all these people are escaping from something because there's something wrong with them. I don't think that's true. I feel like a lot of it could just be out of necessity. They need money. It's not because they're wrong or broken or something. Maybe I'm extrapolating too much, but that's how it felt to me. And I did not like that. I think there's two levels going on here. There is the idea of this being American ruggedness. Part of this movie is dealing with these individuals who haven't come to terms that they are not as self-reliant as I think they are. So like they're trying mm -hmm. to be self-reliant, but there are situations in the movie where Fern definitely has to rely on other. What I feel like is going on here is it's trying to mesh those two concepts together. These are people who want to be self-reliant and they are people who are, are overcoming something, overcome trauma. It doesn't always work. Okay, actually, that's really interesting. I, I had not thought about that self-reliance aspect of it. Yeah, there are a lot of moments in the film where she basically gets stuck or something happens and she needs someone else to help her. And even the people who are sort of admonishing her, they also run into problems a short while later and need somebody else. Yeah. So that's interesting. This is a tragedy that can be read in multiple different ways. But ultimately, though, like, I don't think I would have a ton to talk about this film if we had to cover it full stop. I think what it probably gets us to talk about are some of those other things that are happening outside of the film. But I agree with you. Like, I, I wouldn't necessarily be excited to talk about this because I think the film itself only has a few moments that I thought were great. There's some cinematography I thought was good. We could get into a breakdown of uh, the character of Fern, but by and large, I'm, I'm not really into these like American wasteland concepts or stories. Yeah, it does feel like we have a lot of stuff about the American Southwest. I'm also kind of over it. It's not the movie for 2020. <laughs> so can this movie win Best Picture? That is always the question. I think this is going to win. Okay. Yeah, I, I really do. I think there's just too much momentum behind it. The evidence for this is that it won both the Producers Guild of America and the Directors Guild of America's top awards. It's also, I believe, won the Critics' Choice Award. Farther evidence, so it was nominated for four of the big five categories at the Academy, and it was also nominated for Best Editing. As far as I can guess, this is it. It's coming through. It's not even going to be close. I'm not super psyched about it. Like last year when Parasite was going to potentially win, I was through the moon because that movie's amazing. I love that movie. Up next, a promising young woman. Traumatized by events in her past, a young woman, played by Carrie Mulligan, seeks revenge against the people who wronged her. Only it isn't what you think. Dave, tell us about this film. I think this is one of the smarter and most complicated films of the year. I feel like you either love this movie or you hate it. <laughs> like, like there's really no in between. It's divisive. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's very divisive. I think it's a powerful movie. I like that it is bringing up contemporary subject matter and forcing our society to rethink how we acted in the past. This sort of came out at the same time where people were revisiting how the early 2000s treated Britney Spears. It really caused me to reflect on our society and who I was as a young man. And that's, that's one of the reasons I liked it. I also think it has some interesting story elements to it. You know, they don't always ring true, but I respect how unique the choices are. That is what the film does best, is forcing you to maybe confront things that you've done in your past and be like, yeah, I'm ashamed of that, or I, I think differently now. 
that's maybe what the story does. I, I think it can also talk about this. And I think this is something we're still struggling with in society today is something I did 10 years ago. Should that impact me now? Maybe I'm not that person anymore. And maybe I've learned or grown from that point. Hopefully we've all learned and grown from those things. How do you think this movie will age? The themes are built universal. Society is always going to progress somehow. So the theme of looking back at your past and reevaluating how you were acting and what have you learned in that time period, universal. This does feel like a movie of the moment, specifically talking to the early 2000s. This is something where like 10 years from now, people are going to be watching this and be like, probably not get everything that's happening. Or hopefully we've progressed and it's like one of those movies where you look back and you're like, wow, we were so immature then. Mm -hmm. Society didn't get it. And hopefully we as a society will have a better understanding of all of this in the future so that we actually have thought about how we should manage some of these things now that everything is on social media forever. When I was putting the script together, I kept thinking about other movies we've covered and how we were like, we don't quite get the movie because we're not from that time period. And I think this is a perfect example of that type of movie. Like We didn't understand Cavalcade all that well because it was talking about something that we just were too far away from. So this is one of those movies that I think is highly unlikely, but it's not zero. That's why I don't want to give it a straight no. I think this movie could be rewarded for its ingenuity and creativity and also because of its cultural relevance at this moment. You don't know what the Academy is going to do, and it's really hard to predict. I would say that I think this is really the front runner, though, for best original screenplay. So, so okay. I would probably take that. And then there's a chance that Carrie Mulligan is going to win Best Actress. And I think that's probably a better than 80% chance. Okay. Next movie, Trial of the Chicago 7. So this is a dramatized story of seven political figures on trial for the riots that occurred during the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, directed by Aaron Sorkin. It has five noms. Dave, how do you feel about this movie? I feel blah about this movie. Maybe I just don't like Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> we were talking to one of our friends and he's like, oh, I really love the dialogue Aaron Sorkin does in things like The West Wing. I never watched that show. So I know people love it. It's not something I'm familiar with either. Yeah, it, it's fine, but it's not great. Uh, again, I would rather watch a documentary about this. It's it's kind of complicated and hard to put together. There's a couple moments where I'm like, you're trying to be too clever. So everyone's like really excited about Sasha Baron Cohen in this. I didn't think he did that great of a job. This is not a movie for me. Of all the movies on this list, this is the lowest on it. This is number eight for me. Hmm. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. Dialogue was good. I thought something that was very timely in the film was how a protest can turn into a riot when the police do things wrong. So they can escalate a situation. I think we've seen that happen several times recently where there's like police missteps that just turn ugly. We see really aggressive policing here, creating a powder keg basically, and things go like totally off the rails. I thought that was really interesting. That's probably my favorite part of the film was just getting into the mentality of, of all that. Would you recommend this? I don't know. I, I think it depends on the person. So if you have an interest in, if you are at all politically minded, I would say it's probably a movie for you. If you are sort of apolitical and don't care about protests, probably not going to be interesting to you. 
I'm 50-50 on it. I don't particularly like it, but I know I think other people might. It's just it's a real struggle for me to connect to. And it could be a multiple different reasons. And one of those might be because this cast was sprawling. There's like 20 people in this movie. It's a big cast. So can this movie win Best Picture? John, it's a yes. It totally can. Uh, it's a, <laughs> well, technically all of them can, but you think this one has a good shot, yeah. It's an underdog, but I think it does have a good shot. So this is a technically ambitious movie. It had to have been difficult to both write, frame, edit, and put together because the cast was so large. Aaron Sorkin's a high-profile name. Additionally, it won Best Motion Picture Ensemble at the SAGs. It does have a lot going for it. Will it be enough to overcome Nomadland? That's the question. Last but not least, Sound of Metal. So we have a heavy metal drummer played by Riz Ahmed. His life is upended when he starts to lose his hearing. He's also a recovering addict and dealing with that at the same time. Dave, tell us about the film. What I think is really bolstering this movie is Riz Ahmed's performance. The best actor, Nam, Paul Risi. He is phenomenal in this movie. He's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, totally agree. And I would say that this is a unique story with good acting that all comes together to make a more than palatable film. It is probably the most mainstream of the bunch, if you understand what I'm trying to get at. Mm, Tell us more. It's not super artistic is what I'm getting at to. It's more commercial. Hmm. I, I didn't necessarily feel that way. Why do you think that? I mean, it's a dude trying to overcome some troubles, basically. (laughs) I would agree that the story is a musician recovering from drug abuse with the added twist of him losing his hearing. I'm not sure that makes it different enough that it will win an Oscar. If that's what you're saying, I agree. It's just a twist on a story we've heard before. Mm -hmm. Or have it. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) It's a good movie. It's a lot of people I know's favorite movie of the year. I think it's easily digestible. The ending is a little ambiguous in a good way. To your point, Paul Racy, in my opinion, deserves an Oscar for his supporting acting. That's what I would actually suggest watching this movie for. He is so good. He's very, very good. We we kind of mentioned this above, but you don't think this movie was going to make, should have been on the list this year? No, I just, as I kind of said, I think it's just one added little twist in a story we've kind of seen before. It's not a bad movie. This is one of those movies, I don't think it's for everybody, but I I think many people would like it. It's a little different, but not enough that makes it stand out. You know, like if you look at the pantheon of movies that represent the best picture winners, this would be a weak addition. Got it. Got it. Okay. So in terms of whether this movie can win best picture, I think it's a flat no. I don't think it has any chance. I do think it will win for best sound design, though. I, I could see that. And as you said, it's really unfortunate. I don't think Paul Racy is going to win Best Supporting Actor, but he's phenomenal in it. And I think in another year in which uh, Daniel Kaluuya wasn't in that category, Paul would have won. I think he's better. I think he's going to take it. All right, well, well, we'll find out. That's the good thing. Like we, we can yep. tell you our opinions, but like they the don't o- matter. Well, the Oscars is wild. Like sometimes they just do crazy shit, <laughs> and sometimes it surprises you in the best of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Which I really like. So, Dave, your prediction for Best Picture winner? Nomadland. I'm going to say Minari. Minari. Okay. Yeah. Are you going with your heart or your mind? I'm going with my heart, I think. Just like when Citizen Kane went up against How Green Is My Valley. Same thing. 
the heart won out over the mind. My two favorites are Minari and Mank. I think everyone can watch Minari and enjoy it. Mank, mm, more cerebral. My little jab at How Green Is My Valley is that what made that movie win was just the gobs of money that was spent against against Innocent Game. I picked with my head and not my heart based off of all the past winners for Nomadland. If you ask me the movie that I really want to win, the one that I'm like, I wish this movie would win so we could talk about, that's Minari. I'm hoping that we get that. All right, Dave, Golden Frank. Every year, I don't know about every year, most years, most recent years. (laughs) Keep going. Most recent years that end with... (laughs) That end in a number. Dave and I pick a movie that we think is better than the rest of the films. It's sort of our version of Best Picture. We call it the Golden Frank. Last year, we said Parasite. The year before that was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And I even forget what we did the year before that. I think Moonlight, maybe? Call Me By Your... Moonlight and then Call Me By Your Name. Those are our favorite movies of the last couple of years. This year, I think we haven't even discussed this, Dave. So we're going to do that now. Do you want to say on three what you're going to say the best film of the year is? I do. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So on three... So one, two, three. Minari. I think we agree. I think that's the most accessible film for people. As we said, it's got a lot of heart. What I really like about the American Dream story in this, it's not even in English. That's kind of cool. I don't think we've seen another American Dream story not in English. The acting's very good. The script's good. Just across the board, this is a solid, solid movie. It touches multiple different motions. You're going to laugh. You're going to get worried. You're, you're going to cry. Like Across the board. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad we picked it. I would have been okay with Mank, John, just to let you know. Mank is, is very, very good. It's, you know, technically excellent. And I thought the script was great. I just don't think it's for everybody. Yeah. Uh, that's the only thing I have got going against it. But other than that, I would say people who are listening to our podcast, I think most of them are cinephiles. So if you're listening to us and haven't watched Mank, you'll probably like it. Of the movies that I would be excited to cover this year, it's Mank, Minari, and Promising Young Woman. I could come up with something from Nomadland. Like, I think there is something to discuss there. There were certain scenes in that film, and I was like, wow, that is like, the cinematography is so good. They set this scene up and represents how she's feeling and all this. But it didn't do it for me. I've only watched it once, and maybe I need to go into it a couple more times to really get a feel for it, too. Okay. Let's talk about other movies we like this year. Had a hard time sitting in front of the TV, sitting in my apartment all day. Somehow TV wasn't doing it for me. But of the movies that I watched that I thought other people might like, I saw The Dig. I thought that movie was really pleasant and nice, and I would recommend that. It's based on a true story. It's about uh, this woman excavates these Viking mounds on her property in England, and they find like the oldest Viking tomb in the area. And then I also liked Soul a lot, actually, which was the Pixar film. I would say check those out. Uh, what about you, Dave? What do you got? I did something new this year. I kept a running list of all the movies I've watched in 2020, and I rank them. I have my personal definitive list. Okay. So my number three are Minari, Promising Young Woman, and Mank. But movies that we haven't talked about, The Invisible Man. I love that movie. It really hits my sweet spot because I am a horror fan, and I thought that Elizabeth Moss did an amazing job. I loved Another Round which is about middle-aged high school teachers who decide to run an experiment and they get drunk every day and see how that affects their lives and whether they feel better. Uh, <laughs> yeah. First Cow, if you haven't seen First Cow, I really, really highly recommend it. It's very, it's very nice. 
some movies that kind of got overlooked, I think. There's this, this action comedy monster movie called Love and Monsters. It came out, I feel like, in high pandemic and just everyone ignored it. Uh, really funny. Highly recommend it. If it's on Netflix, check it out. It's a good Saturday morning watch. Here's one that I think people are going to be really surprised by. And that's Gretel and Hansel. This movie got abused in reviews. I found it strangely hypnotic. I have been unable to get it out of my mind. And then the final thing I just want to mention is that Shudder released a 60-minute horror movie that takes place over Zoom called Host. Very, very fun. Uh, if you got 60 minutes you like horror, check it out. I don't think we have anything else. Dave, what are we doing next? Mortal Kombat versus Mortal Kombat. Because Mortal Kombat comes out at the end of the month. I would love to revisit the original and compare it to the new one. Additionally, audience, John is a Mortal Kombat expert. Go brag about yourself, John. Go on. I don't know if I can say expert, but I've played pretty much every Mortal Kombat video game, including the crazy storyline ones. I've only actually played the video game story mode for the past two or three (laughs) games. I don't even play the versus mode anymore because I just don't care. (laughs) i'm like i don't want to learn fucking combos the three second title card blurbs we get at the end about what happens when they win are not canon so no one gives a fuck brutality (laughs) the first one's like a cult classic even though it's not that great i love it do we think there's director's commentary on the first i mean there's a lot to talk about paul ws anderson's mortal Kombat. there's just a ton of stuff about that movie out there I'm, i'm guaranteed we can do good research on it Here's my favorite bit of trivia. Christopher Lambert literally traveled to somewhere in Asia when he didn't have to because he thought it would be it would make the movie better. With his, he used his own money to travel to another country to film it. They were just going to have him film it like in studios. <laughs> Good for him. Good for Hey, hey, he's the best Raiden I've only, seen. <laughs> there can only be one, Dave. There can only be one Raiden, and it's Christopher Lambert. <laughs> the actor who played Sang Shang in the movies revisited his role for the latest Mortal Kombat video game series. He uh, They used his likeness in it, which I thought was kind of cool. That is that is cool. That guy's a good actor. I mean, I'm real excited to talk about that first one. Oh, uh, the only thing I'm really sad about is that Johnny Cage isn't in the new movie. I'm really sad that Chun-Li's not in the new movie. <laughs> you guys explain that so we don't get hate mail? Sure. So there was some website that was like, there aren't enough women in Mortal Kombat. They cut Chun-Li. Chun-Li is not a Mortal Kombat character. She's from Street Fighter. I just want to make that clear. So whoever wrote that article didn't do their homework. Ah, beautiful. Okay, John. Well, that is our Oscar episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you have feedback, you can reach us at david at awardwinners.com or john at awardwinners.com. You can also leave a five-star review on Amazon. And remember, when we get 50 reviews, we'll cover Titanic. Haven't pitched that in a while. Uh, You can follow us on Instagram, where we're doing movie reviews, polls, uh, memes, and general cinema fun. Be careful, everyone. We want all our audience to be happy, healthy, watch movies for a very long time. We will see you guys on the red carpet.